This is the Social Leader Podcast, inspired by entrepreneurs, founders, faith leaders, innovators, volunteers, and visioneers from every single walk of life. They are the social venturers among us, those who crave the entrepreneurial adventure of moving beyond charity to integrate and then operationalize their social priorities. Social leaders are the true leaders among us because they are the ones who are trying to forge sustainable solutions to solve our community's most tangled problems. Welcome to the Social Leader Podcast. I'm your host, Father Justin Matthews. And real quick before we begin, I want to remind you that this podcast is sponsored by Reconciliation Services. We're a nonprofit social venture located in Kansas City, Missouri, seeking to build and cultivate a community that is seeking racial and economic reconciliation to reveal the strength of all. I am super excited also to tell you about our brand new e-course called The Social Leader Essentials. And if you're inspired by this interview, which I absolutely believe you're going to be today, my guest is incredible, you're going to want to go and check out the kind of resource that I believe can help you to become a leader just like she is. It's called The Social Leader Essentials, and you can go to thesocialleader.org to check it out today. Well, friends, I am welcoming to the show a really dear friend of Reconciliation Services, a very dear friend of mine. Her name is Catherine Evans Madden. Catherine, welcome to the podcast. Hi, thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to chat with you tonight. It's wonderful to have you. You and I have been friends for a long time, and I think we've been threatening to do a podcast together for a while. <laughs> and I'm finally glad that I can get on your schedule that we can be together because you bring together some super unique traits. I've never met anyone who was on the one hand a community organizer as well as an entrepreneur who is bringing those things together. And I think folks tonight are going to really um, have an incredible treat listening to your journey. So let's just start there. Tell me a little bit about yourself, where you hail from, and then a little bit about how you got connected to Reconciliation Services and became one of our stellar board members. Okay. Well, uh, so huh, I came to Kansas City in 2010. So I've been, been in this community um, for about a decade. And I did not know that I was going to end up here. I was in graduate school and looking for an opportunity to um, explore the nonprofit sector. And so I ended up in an, uh, in an agency called Operation Breakthrough, which happens to be right across the street from Reconciliation Services. And during my time at that agency, I was um, working on different programs and helping uh, the agency to really think about how they delivered services. And I was able to connect directly with the families that are served by Operation Breakthrough. And I started to hear their stories and really listen to the barriers that they were facing um, as, as parents, mostly mothers, many single mothers. And one thing that I had never heard before um, that I kept hearing that summer at Operation Breakthrough was the prevalence of uh, payday loans and how many of these families were caught in these horrendous debt traps because they needed to pay a utility bill or pay a medical bill and didn't have access to cash. And so they, they went and um, sought out help from these payday loan shops, which 
are, are highly, highly unregulated in the state of Missouri. And because that was my first encounter with that, I was so shocked and um, could not believe that that a, a government would uh, allow people to take out loans that were at had 1900% interest rates and um, really not give them any support in repaying those loans. And it enraged me in a way that I never experienced before and made me really wanna do something about it. And so I joined a local organization called Communities Creating Opportunity, started my journey as a community organizer. And that's actually how I came, first came to Reconciliation Services and uh, began building relationship with leaders uh, at, at, the, at Reconciliation Services. I met Father Alexi, uh, who was very involved in the payday loan uh, campaign where we were working to cap interest rates on payday loans in Missouri. And he allowed me to come into uh, the organization and into his church and talk to talk to folks who were receiving services and who were members of his church. And um, we really began to build a relationship that was rooted in uh, love for our neighbors and a real search for justice. And uh, and I have not left since. And that was in 2012 that I first encountered RS. Yeah. So your journey from just discovering what kind of fleecing is and and continues to happen in the community through the payday loan industry led you to then working with families at operation breakthrough and discovering about their struggles there and then getting involved with rs and you really haven't left since i mean i i think i first met you when i was a volunteer here before i was even on staff what was it about reconciliation services and specifically the work of community organizing that drew you in? What captured your heart? And what do you think is the most powerful part of community organizing that captured your imagination? Mm, that's a great question. I think there are some real similarities between what drew me to RS and what drew me to community organizing. And it is this core belief that everyone has inherent value and dignity and that the systems that we create to support people have to be reflective of that inherent dignity. Otherwise, we're not we're doing it wrong. And um, you know, I really learned that in my upbringing and my in my faith upbringing. And I saw that reflected in the work that Reconciliation Services was doing and is doing. And it was very central to my. Um, my formation as a community organizer as well. And I have learned over the years that the outrage that I was feeling when I first heard about payday lending and, and you know how people were affected by it was really reflective of me feeling that something was not right and just in the world. Um, I, I've heard a quote recently that when you feel anger, it means that a boundary has been violated. And I think that um, the way some of our most common systems in society violate people's um, inherent dignity and, and, and worth is really outrageous. And we should feel compelled to do something about that. And that's really what, what drew me into both RS and into organizing. No, I remember when you and I first met, I learned the statistic. Now, I'm not going to get the number right. Maybe you'll remember it. But I remember learning that the community that we work in at Reconciliation Services on the east side of Kansas City, the historically segregated, disinvested side of Kansas City, 
Um, I heard that the payday loan industry was fleecing out of that community millions per year. And I, and I remember thinking, gosh, you know, this isn't necessarily a poor community. If you could just get, you know, the millions that are being paid in, in essentially what amounts to usury loans back into the community, if you could get access to capital. And, and I remember thinking that community organizing was going to be a very powerful tool in mobilizing people's voices. Talk to me about what community organizing is, because I don't think everybody really understands that necessarily outside of, obviously we just came through this election season. You know, we're in the middle of this post-election world that we're living through right now, whatever it's going to be. And I think people think about community organizing like getting out the vote. But it's more than that. What is community organizing and, and why is it so important within our communities? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that the most important thing to understand about organizing, or you might call it network building, or you know, you can call it whatever you want, but um, really what's at the core of it is this idea that we build power through relationship with one another. And we have to be very committed to intentional relationship if we are going to transform anything, if we're gonna have power to transform anything that uh, is oppressing people. And you know, when I think about the millions of dollars being taken out of the black community through the predatory lending, you know, I think about what what will it take? What does it take for this industry to be sort of held accountable to that? And what it takes is organized people in these neighborhoods and their allies, like those at Reconciliation Services and organizers who are working with those communities. It takes them all coming together and um, collecting their resources and collecting their ideas and demonstrating the power of those organized resources and ideas in a way that radically transforms the way that we even view these systems, right? So why is it okay that when a family that doesn't have access to immediate capital or that is unbanked or doesn't have access to uh, fair credit, why is it that the only option they have when their child has um, you know, gotten sick and they have a, a high medical bill, why is their only option a payday loan, right? It's really helping people to ask why and really building their leadership and their capacity and their desire for change from that place of, of understanding why things are the way they are and imagining a whole new way of being. And we can't do that on our own. Like I wish I had the power by myself to, um, to you know, transform these things, these systems that um, that keep my community, the black community, from really living into its full potential. Uh, but I can't do it by myself, and that is why I connected with CCO. That is why I connected with Reconciliation Services, and that's why I do work that I do today. I do it all in relationship. Power is a product of relationship, and the more that we can embody that, the more that we can live into that. I think the more successful successful we will be in all of our efforts towards a more equitable society. 
I I love that you're bringing this idea of organizing, you know, really like the the tactics, the 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 practical and tactical of organizing people and resources in order to affect greater social change because a lot of times when we think with kind of a charity mindset, we think, "Oh, when I have enough money, I'll give enough to be able to change that." But in actuality, I mean, if you think about the story of the widow's mind in the Bible, I mean, true generosity and true power to move the hearts and minds of those who create the systems isn't always about who has the most money. It, it oftentimes is about who can stand up and speak, who's willing to dare to do that. And there's a lot of power in using our voice. I I think it's fascinating that you're bringing all of those concepts and marrying them now with your love for entrepreneurship and your love for um, leadership and in particular in the nonprofit space. And if you're just joining us online, I want to invite anybody who'd like to to make a comment. If you're watching on Facebook or on YouTube or or on Twitter or Periscope, we'd love to have you chime in and we'll try to bring you into the story and into the podcast as well. But Catherine, what are like two or three things that you learned from organizing that you're now bringing into your new company, Rooted Strategy? And I just put rootedstrategy.com on the, on the page there. I hope people go and check it out. What are two or three things from your community organizing experience that you're bringing in now to this new work that you're doing? Mm-hmm. Uh, so I'm, I'm really excited to talk about Rooted Strategy. Um, I started this project about a year ago, and after spending almost a decade in the nonprofit sector in Kansas City and working in various uh, various capacities as an organizer and doing strategic planning and as a fundraiser, I really uh, wanted to make an impact in the way that we rethink the nonprofit ecosystem itself. Um, I've always sort of, you know, since my organizing days, I've held sort of this lovingly critical analysis of nonprofits and philanthropies and the ways in which we tend to um, not examine how we repeat oppressive patterns that we're trying to disrupt for our work. We actually sometimes repeat them in the way that we do our work. And um, more and more, I'm convinced that that is not only to our detriment as nonprofit leaders, but it is um, detrimental to the people that we are trying to serve. Okay, so you got to hold on real quick. We got to unpack that because that was a lot. Hold <laughs> that on. was a lot. So nonprofits, I'm just mm-hmm. going to try to pair it back what I heard. Nonprofits are um, using strategies or enforcing practices and strategies that continue to oppress the people that they're trying to help at times. Did I hear you right? Yes, and I wanna be clear that it's not always intentional, right? Um, It's because of who we are as human beings and we carry with us um, implicit and unconscious bias and associations and people with implicit bias, which is all of us, bring that into the places where we work. And even if we have the best of intentions, if we really wanna be there to, you know, be movement builders and system changers, if we don't examine the way that our bias is impacting how we interact and are in relationship with one another, we can repeat those patterns. And I believe that, um, you know, if we don't, if we don't examine those as nonprofit leaders, then we are going to do more harm than good. Yeah. Sometimes helping can hurt, can it? 
Yeah, absolutely. And I've never met anyone in my time in working in Kansas City that intentionally wants to hurt. But um, but I've also seen, you know, in the way that we hire staff, in the way that we, um, you know, shape culture and how we choose to develop certain members of our teams versus others, even how we interact with clients, you know, um, that there might be unintentional ways that we repeat oppressive patterns. Um, and I started Root Strategy because I really want to support and encourage nonprofit leaders to take a critical self-examination of how we do what we do and then be really courageous and uh, creative in designing something different, right? It's like we have to imagine the world that we want and then pursue it relentlessly. And I think that's true when we talk about the world at large, you know, just big cultural systems change, but it's also true in our institutions. And really, if we're, we're if we're thinking about it, it's true for ourselves. Like we have to constantly be thinking about how, who do I want to be? How do I want to show up in the world? Who do I want to be in relation to others? Who do I want to be in my in my institution where I'm serving, and, um, and and constantly work towards that. And sometimes that takes coaching, and sometimes it takes technical assistance. And that's that's why I started Rooted Strategy because I've had enough experience to know that um, many of those things can be taught. Some some things have to be learned, but a lot of things can be taught. So let's break that down and make it practical. Can you give a hypothetical example of when when you've worked with an organization? where maybe they were struggling with some form of bias and, and it was affecting their, their, you know, the, the accomplishing of their mission and how you go about trying to shift their perspective. Is there something that you bring from your community organizing background or something you bring from your own lived experience that you're teaching? Or is there a, um, a particular framework that you're using? How does that become practical and tactical? Because I sure. agree with you. Yeah. Um, so I think the most salient example would be the work that I'm currently doing with philanthropy. Um, I, I'm fortunate enough to be able to um, work with some local philanthropies as well as some across the country. And the work that I am really focused on there is uh, as these philanthropies are thinking about how do we become a more rac racial equity focused organization at all levels, you know, and um, from our staff and board all the way out to the way that we our grant making, um, I've been brought in to sort of help them think about what that path looks like and to build the roadmap with them. Um, and one of the things that I've encountered often with philanthropy is for some reason, they seem really unwilling to acknowledge like we have lots of power. You know, we have access to all of these resources. We have all of these relationships and we can really do, you know, some limitations according to laws and your bylaws and your charters, but we can really kind of do what we want. We can write the rules and that that's what power is, right? It's the ability to define the rules. And um, so I use this framework of, of, of power really a lot with philanthropy to help them understand that, you know, even though it might feel uncomfortable, to invest in organizations that you know don't have as, as many resources or as much history or even though you might feel like it's risky to step into the arena of uh, grant making and racial equity you have the power to do that and you have the privilege of being able to take on risk um, and 
it might feel uncomfortable for you and we need to unpack why that is. Are you uncomfortable with the idea of maybe giving up some control? Um, are you uncomfortable with the idea of, you know, not being able to, to fully be in control of what's happening with your, with your funded partners? And if that's the case, I'm not going to judge that, but I do want to unpack it. And I do want to walk you through how to sort of rethink that. Because if you really want to do really good racial equity work as a philanthropy, you've kind of got to get out of this mindset that I have to be in control, I have to decide what happens, I have to be in the driver's seat and really turn the power over. Um, or maybe another way to look at it is exchange power with the communities that you want to invest in. I think that's a wonderful corollary to your organizing days, mm -hmm. because I think in community organizing, it's all about trying to reveal the strength, like we talk about at Reconciliation Services, of those that are in the community to try to find from a strength-based perspective, not focus on the deficit, but, but focus on the assets. What is there? You know, and there are all these modalities, asset-based community development and all these other, you know, kind of academic and tactical ways that people go about that if you're in the community development space. But philanthropy, I think, is lagging. Now, I know there are a lot of people in Kansas City that I've talked to at a number of different foundations who are aware of this, who are working on this, who are like you trying to figure out how um, the nonprofit sector can not just catch up, but even innovate. And in some ways, I think you're right. We have a lot of freedom in the nonprofit space. In, and if we are to turn things around in philanthropy, I think there's a role for the notion of accountability, not just exchange of power. For example, on our board of directors at Reconciliation Services, you know, we have an accountability to our clients. And so you lead our effort uh, to hold uh, various and multiple kind of client accountability summits. And it's been difficult to get more and more people to come. But as that trust continues to grow and build, you've been building a structure where we're not held accountable as an organization, first and foremost, to the ones who give us the dollars. But ultimately, our accountability needs to be to those for whom we're trying to deliver services. Talk to me about the role of accountability in this the equity in philanthropy space. Ooh. Oh, yeah, that is like so important. I think um, when an institution is moving towards racial equity, um, they're often focused on the awareness and you know how do we understand what's happening, that analysis. But sometimes they want to skip right over all of that and go straight to action, or um, or you know speed through the awareness and analysis and get straight to action. And so the first thing I'll say is that the awareness building and the analysis are critical components. There's a framework for Barbara Love that goes more into this that you um, you should investigate um, more fully. But in that framework, there are the four components. There's awareness, there's analysis, there's action, and then there's accountability, which increases your capacity for allyship. So when I think about like the work that we do at, um, at RS with the client guest committee, I, we have this awareness, right, that our clients are experiencing um, a, a life and, and are having um, 
lived experiences that maybe we can't relate to or can't understand, but we are trying to deliver services and provide a space for improving their well-being, right? Mm -hmm. So we have to first be aware we don't have all the answers and that we need to seek to understand. And we also have to be aware of the sort of historical and, and present day context in which we are situated. So how right. did we get to the place where our, our um, community is segregated so much racially and economically? Um, how did we get to the place where, you know, all these payday loan shops are policing millions of dollars out of the east side while the west side is thriving. Like really mm -hmm. understanding that and having having a clear analysis of all of that to situate us in what we're doing and to really ground our awareness. And then when um, once we have those in place and as we're we're forming those, we can move to action. And so for, for me with the client guest committee, that looks like you know, forming our, our committee structure and holding these meetings and, you know, not taking it personally when people don't show up or don't come back because it's not really about me, it's about them. And so I need to be thinking, okay, if if you don't, if, if people aren't coming back, maybe I'm doing something wrong. I need to figure out, I need to go back to the drawing board, back to that awareness and back to that analysis. Only then can I, can we really get to what we're seeking, which is that accountability to our client guests um, and true allyship with them so that we are walking with them, that their voices are informing our decision-making as a board and that we are really viewing them as, as partners and um, you know people that we are in relationship with as we do this work at RS. I think that same framework could be applied to philanthropy. That same framework can be applied to any racial equity initiative that's happening in the community. You could apply that same framework to any relationship you have really. Like I think about my own marriage, my own, you know, intimate relationships and how I have to be have to have this, you know, really intentional process of awareness and analysis and understanding how we relate to each other and what the dynamics are in order for us to make decisions decisions together that are going to enhance our our connection and our partnership mm -hmm. and that we can be accountable to that. So really it's, I'm going to go back to power is a product of relationship. And um, I really want people, if you take nothing else away from this conversation tonight, to ground yourself in that and to you know really commit yourself to being in authentic relationship with others, um, you know, beginning with an assessment and, and, and you know awareness of what's happening with yourself and then taking that into your relationships with other people and other institutions and systems. Yeah, I think you've brought a lot to the forefront that's not just about nonprofits and community organizing, but I think every corporate social responsibility officer needs to drink deeply from the well of, of the things that you're talking about, as well as our leadership in every leadership lane you have the opportunity, whether you're you know, a programmer in a cubicle or whether you're the CEO or wherever you are in the corporate structure, everybody has an opportunity in their leadership lane to lead with greater social impact. And I think the more reflective we become about the, the way that we do it, not just, hey, I should do it, not just why should I do it? I think there's a lot of seminars and workshops about this and that and DEI and all of the other things that are out there. But now, okay, that's the foundation. That's paying rent. Let's assume. Now, how do we get to operationalizing that? And I think the four principles that you laid out and your experience in community organizing about sharing or exchanging power or even that word allyship 
that idea of being someone's ally rather than doing for them, doing with them, these kind of concepts. If we can extrapolate that not only in the nonprofit world, but into the for-profit sector, when we're designing programs and when we're thinking about launching things, I can't imagine the change that could take place. It would be a game changer, truly. I mean, and you're, you hit the nail on the head. I mean, it's, it's not necessarily about the what. I mean, the what is sort of comes later. It's more about the why and mm. the how, right? Why are we doing this? Why are we pursuing racial equity? Why are we investing as a philanthropy in this community? Okay, how are we going to do that? Are we going to offer a set of trainings? Are we going to, um, you know, enter a participatory grant making process? And then you can decide what to do. That's tactics. It's like you were saying earlier about organizing, right? Like a lot of people think about organizing is get out the vote. That's a what? That's like a tactic. Really, where we start, the foundation of what makes any get out the vote effort successful is that connection, that relationship, that encouragement. There's even a place for healing. You know, reconciliation is is in our name. And I think that we cannot separate the need for um, understanding trauma and the importance of, of resilience and building resilience through relationship. Right. And that's how healing happens. And, um, you know, there's also space for building identity. Like, who are we? Who do we want to be? All of that is so critical to any successful initiative. Go ahead. Oh, I was going to I was going to say I could build the best get out the vote plan ever. But if I don't have the foundation of that, it's not going to it's not going to work. It's not going to be that the the efforts are not going to be sustained. Well, it sounds like for-profits and non-profits alike should go to rootedstrategy.com and definitely check out the work that you're doing because I think it transcends the sector. I'm glad that you're focused on philanthropy because I think there's a lot of work to do in philanthropy. But frankly, like we've said, the things that you're bringing forward are things that every sector, business, faith, and philanthropy needs to really pay attention to. And, and you know, to be frank, talking about a lagging sector, very often the faith sector is even further behind in in the, the scheme of things. There's a lot of work to be done for all of us. You know, I know that taking this approach takes a lot of patience. And I know that the things that you've learned were learned through difficulty. I think there are probably people listening and who will listen to this podcast who want to learn to lead with greater social impact. They want to learn to be social leaders like you are from their leadership lane. Um, What are two or three practices or tips that you could give to those who are listening to help them to learn to lead with greater social impact, Catherine? Hmm. Well, I think the first thing that I would share with you is um, a lesson that I have learned over the last four years, my daughter uh, was born on election day in 2016. She just turned four on Sunday. And as I think back to, you know, her life and what it has taught me and how I've sort of evolved in my, in my thinking and being um, over these last four years, I keep coming back to this mindset, this, this, this message that um, everything in life has a beginning and an end, right? And the middle sometimes seems like it's going to go on forever and you don't know when it's going to end. But if you can just really ground yourself in the, um, in the, the idea that 
um, life is full of these beginnings and ends and that there's this messy middle and you're not really sure what's going to evolve from that. I think it is so important. It's been so important for me to um, have that reminder as I'm um, doing, you know, from everywhere from my own, you know, home life as a, as a mother and as a, as a spouse, um, into my business and my entrepreneurial ventures, um, and then all the way out into the work that I do in the world around racial justice and racial equity, right? Sometimes it seems like um, the difficult parts are never going to end or the, the, the beautiful parts are going too fast, but just remember, it's all part of this site, this the cycle and um, just ground yourself in that. I think that's really important. In terms of practical tips, um, I have really appreciated <laughs> the time that I take to, to plan thoughtfully about how I'm going to approach my work. And this looks different for everybody, but um, I found it helpful to find a dedicated time each day um, and each week to really lay out what do I want to accomplish? What do I want it to look like? What do I want it to feel like? And then working my way backwards, almost like creating a roadmap. Um, and, and you can do this, this can be um, for something as simple as, you know, what are we gonna, what are we gonna um, do? How are we gonna do our strategic plan? Um, and what do we want our strategic vision to look like? It could be, um, how are we gonna launch a new product or service, right? So start, begin with the end in mind and be as bold and courageous as vision and as visionary as you can, and then work your way back. I know um, that, I that you and I helpful. both. I know you and I both love journaling. I just want to jump back real quick because yeah. you know I'm a huge fan of the full focus planner, and yeah. I use it. But you use something different. What's your system? I use a passion planner. Passion planner is. Um, I've been using it for a couple of years, and it's really helpful because it does exactly what I what I just described. It encourages you to um, dream big. You know, think about the world that you want, the life that you want, and then helps you break it down um, tangible action steps that are time bound and that are really encourage you and help help hold you accountable to that vision. And it's been amazing for me. I mean, I, I, I wrote my business plan through Passion Planner. And so it's, it's been an awesome. incredible resource for me. Awesome. You know, I feel the same way. I didn't want to skip over that because for me, when I started using Michael Hyatt's, um, you know, full focus planner, it was the same thing. It really gave me a way and a lens to focus. And that planning time that you talked about at the beginning or at some point in time during your day, for me, most days, although I break my own rules, but like most days, I try not to take a meeting from 8.30 to 10 a.m., which is impossible for some people, but like that's my startup ritual. That's my planning time. That's my reading time. That's my catch up on email and get everything set for the daytime so that I'm actually effective during the day. So I really agree with you that that planning time is is really important. Yeah. Anything else? I wake up at six. I try to get up before anybody else in my house does, which is kind of hard because my four-year-old will wake up whenever she wants. But I, I try to wake up at six and I and I pray and I meditate and then I immediately open my planner and say, what am I going to get done today? And I really map it out. And it's been really helpful for me to keep focused and to meet all the goals that I have. Super practical, super simple, but really powerful. Anything else that you want to share that that is top of mind for you? I just want to thank you for inviting me on. Um, I love talking about all these topics with you. You know, you and I have done some really great things together at RS, and um, I, 
appreciate having you as a, a colleague and a mentor and a friend and I'm really proud of everything that you've created um, and the way that you're inspiring people to be social leaders and the idea that anyone can be a leader and you don't have to be in the nonprofit sector to for this to have meaning for you. I think that's that's like I said, it's going to be a game changer. So thank you. Well, thank you, Catherine. And I want to make sure I'm going to put this up again, rootedstrategy.com. We literally couldn't be where we are at Reconciliation Services without you, Catherine, as a longtime board member and also as a friend and a mentor to me. And thank you for helping us get to where we are and to stay focused also. And thank you for coming on the podcast today. I hope we can have you back again. And I want to dive even more deeply next time into some of those strategies as you work them out with companies both in Kansas City and philanthropies around around the United States. I hope they'll check you out at rootedstrategy.com. Thanks so much, Catherine. Thank you. Bye, everybody. Absolutely. Well, friends, thank you again for spending another podcast with me on The Social Leader, and thank you for listening. And if you liked today's podcast with Catherine, I have a huge favor to ask you. Would you please, wherever you follow this podcast, whether it's on YouTube or iTunes or Spotify, wherever you listen, would you like this? Uh, like the podcast, smash that button, hit the bell button, whatever you got to do, and make sure to follow us and share it out with your friends. It's really going to help us to get this show out to more people so that we can help other people just like you learn to become social leaders. And lastly, if you like today's show and if you want to learn more about social leadership specifically, and if you want to learn to lead with greater social impact, I want to invite you to go to thesocialleader.org and you can find out more about our brand new e-course, The Social Leader Essentials. And 100% of the proceeds from that e-course Go to fuel the social and trauma therapy work that we're doing right here at Reconciliation Services. But the cutting edge leadership lessons that you're going to learn in that e-course are going to be a game changer. And I know you're going to love it. Go to thesocialleader.org. Check it out today. So again, thank you to my guest, Catherine Evans Madden with Rooted Strategy. And I look forward to visiting with all of you next time. Until that next time, let's together learn to lead with greater social impact. See you soon.